Uh, welcome to another edition of the C-State Podcast. Uh, and this is specifically another of the security leader interview uh, sessions. And I'm super excited uh, to have a friend and colleague and true pioneer in the space, uh, Brian Singer, who is currently the Principal Director of Security Innovation at Accenture. Welcome to the show, Brian Singer. Thank you very much, Derek. It's nice to be on. Okay, so as I always like to start these shows, I think that security practitioners and leaders, you know, I may be a little biased, but they're superheroes of a sort, um, combating uh, the forces of darkness, and every superhero has a backstory. So let's let's start with your backstory. Where where are you from? Where'd you grow up? That's that's always a good question. Um, I was born in Mountain Home, Idaho. Uh, my father was a pilot in the Air Force, and as I always said, my uh, my final act of teenage rebellion was I grew up and joined the army to jump out of airplanes. So I really spent most of my time as a, as a military family uh, growing up, obviously. I uh, lived all over the country, uh, settled mostly in Alabama, and that's where I, I spent the rest, rest of my time growing up. So I, I'm always curious, and it's, a, it's, it's so varied in these interviews, where did technology, and then secondarily, if it occurred at all, security, did those, any nexus early in your in your early life, high school? Oh, yeah. Or even, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I was the coolest kid on the street because I had an Apple II Plus computer that had two five and a quarter inch floppy drives. Ooh, and I, the double drive, wow. Yeah, I, could li- I, could li- I could load Choplifter in one setting. So it goes way back to the 300 baud, uh, you know, Hayes modem, BBS days. Um, and, and yeah, that was where I first got the first got the itch for hacking because I started learning. Of course, everybody watched about our time, watched things like uh, war games. So we all wanted to be the ultra super hacker. And then we realized it was a whole lot of typing things like ATDT many times. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I think we were influenced uh, by the same uh, the same stuff. We're of the same yeah. era. Uh, okay. You're an enthusiast. You're into it. And you're you're getting uh, to high school graduation. What 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 happens next? You kind of alluded to you. You chose to yeah. go to the military. So, I yes, I actually joined the Army. I uh, joined the Army right out of high school and uh, did about – uh, eight years mix of active and reserve duty. Um, but in that time, I worked in intelligence. And so I so I was first really exposed to what we at the time really called computer and network security, kind of separate disciplines, uh, what we now call cybersecurity. But uh, it kind of picked up a passion when I saw, I picked up a passion for the hacking when I saw somebody one night get mad at somebody on an IRC channel and do the ping minus F and flood ping them. And I thought that was one of the coolest things in the world. And little did I know that's, you know, again, that was, again, kind of that hacking bug got started again. And Realize later on that guess what we're still doing a lot of things very much like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it's so interesting to look at those early exploits and uh, and compare them to where things are today. And some things are so much further along, and other things are scarily not as far it's along. Scarily the same. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so okay, so you're in the service. You're cutting your teeth on more stuff uh, in the early stages. Uh, you know, yeah, cybersecurity not even a term back then. Mm-hmm. I remember information security and yep. those sort of terms being thrown around. What what happens next? You're 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 in those years in the military. Are you looking to get out? Are you, you have a plan to get out? What happens? Yeah. So obviously, uh, my my goal was to I I was really interested in software development, uh, and that's pretty much where I started my career out. So as I transitioned off active duty and into the reserves, that's where I spent most of my time was actually again going to school and learning about software development. I, I will always tell people I was the world's worst college student because. You know, I was really going to school and I found a couple of really good job programming jobs. This is the Y2K time frame. So, I mean, you know, we we had a, an abundance of programmers. Obviously, we had an abundance of need for programmers and for system administrators and everything else. And I quickly launched into a career focused heavily in software development. Uh, some of my early career was actually doing things like neural state design uh, at BellSouth uh, and also worked at Bellcore Labs, a couple others in little projects and in healthcare. So that was I spent a lot of time on software development, uh, kind of on my early career, 
And that that it, that ended up getting me into what became the tipping point when I started working for um, actually I was working for a number of uh, food suppliers in North America doing MES and LIMS systems and SPC uh, manufacturing enterprise systems, the laboratory information management systems and developing those. And that was kind of my early foray. But when I went from the IT field more over towards automation and industry, but I was still doing software development at that time. Okay, so let me let me ask you a couple of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and just let me guide this a little bit because this is one of these nuggets. I'm always looking for mm-hmm. the moment that it's a share that that a mm-hmm. lot of people or, or you know or the right person could listen to you. Go, oh, that's right. me. Programming, computer programming. Not you're not doing cyber work, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I mean, so I know that 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 was certainly some things that came up a number of times. Uh, like I remember one of the early stories I have in cybersecurity is we were actually doing all of the Unix systems for like 55 plants in North America. We maintained all of those, did all the development for them and, and all the system administration. And we had a network administrator that actually was, was let go. And uh, once somebody from the company came to me and said, hey, you know, we're a little bit concerned possibly, would you guys help out? And so I got my first experience with a logic bomb because we went and looked and sure enough, the, the gentleman had written some logic into there that if he did not answer it every couple of weeks, it would have nuked the, it would, what it would have done was delete the Etsy directory out of HPUX 10.20, I think at the time. You delete wow. the Etsy directory, it'll bring that box to its knees. And he set that up and we found it within a nick of time and uh, resolved it out of there. So again, little little bumps up against cybersecurity, but uh, that was the first real the first real experience I had with a compromise and dealing with a compromise. So. so this is interesting. People come, you know, when I do all these interviews, I find people have come from all these different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. How valuable do you think it's been, especially with the kinds of things you do today, that you came up through programming? You yeah, understand. Well, I think it's really, really key. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, if you understand programming, especially down at the lower levels, like the assembly language level. Right. But if you understand it, and I always said, you know, and I learned some really valuable lessons back then that I've applied later in my career. Like there's no magic at the assembly level. Whatever's happening and whatever you're seeing on the screen, whatever is going through a debugger, that is what is absolutely happening on the computer. There's no magic. You know exactly what's going on. And some of those early lessons have been very, very helpful, even though I've moved in cybersecurity, I've gone more in the direction of systems and networks and some other things. Some of that programming experience very early on and understanding computer systems very well early on has ended up being very, very valuable later as I've tried to understand some more complex concepts like how how file access modifier times work in forensics or something like that. So, you know, when those things have come up, having that deep background and deep systems background has been very helpful in diagnosing other problems because, again, most a lot of our cybersecurity threats, obviously, are going to be malware or other types of things. So even though we aren't really doing the you know, the reverse engineering or things, knowing what they can do, knowing how they impact the system and how systems are architected, has been very, very useful later in my career. So I think that's an interesting share. So there could be uh, people out there. We, 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 you know, we know we have people that reach out and say, hey, I'm, I'm not in the cybersecurity industry. Right. I'd like to get into it. So people yep. who are working in other traditional areas of technology, including including yep. software engineering, yep. those are good basis points to to cross to cross over. Absolutely, it brings up a, a, an interesting point. I, I always say this to folks. I get asked all the time, probably like you do, how do I get involved in cybersecurity? And I always tell people, I'm like, look, understand, it's the entire field of IT, the entire field with a 180 degree twist on it. And so if you're a system administrator right now, think about what would you do for diagnosing problem? I mean, a lot of the skills you learn for doing diagnostic, system diagnostics, re- re- you know, resolving, take, those are a lot of the same skills you're going to need later when you're hunting something within a system that, that is a potential security threat or diagnosing or monitoring network traffic. 
And again, a lot of times, even now, cybersecurity threats and network anomalies and all those things, they look like the exact same thing until they don't. And having those skills. So again, you know, starting where you are, if you're a programmer, you might want to head towards uh, more like vulnerability uh, vulnerability analysis or, or, or malware research. Uh, if you're a network administrator, that's a very easy uh, crossover point. Uh, but again, start where you are and start applying. How do I approach solving a problem and how would I potentially go and disrupt the system? And that's going to start getting you into that mindset. Awesome. Awesome advice. I love that. I think that's one of those one of those nuggets because people are asking that all the time. How do we break in with this concept that it's a big door that they have to somehow get through? And you're saying just start thinking about it from that perspective, right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, when we started our career on this, there was no there really were no cybersecurity programs. You couldn't go to college for that. So almost all of us started where we were, and it was little touch points that suddenly ended up into, hey, how about you know, how about doing this job in cybersecurity? And, and that's how a lot of us started, and that's still how, even though a lot of people will follow a more traditional school path for it now, I still recommend them. Like if you're interested in this, you know, there, there, at any given point, you can kind of transition over to a very similar skill set in cybersecurity. So let's let's go back to your your kind of your story arc. So we're talking programming. Uh, cybersecurity aspects of that, the systems that you're looking at. You you, you indicated there's a nexus here with control, with industrial yep. control systems. Yep. What's that story? Where does that come together? And I think you end up at a major OEM, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and actually, that's it's it's where I learned the most dangerous thing you can say in your career is sure, whatever. Because uh, yeah, I, I was working, and again, I was doing a lot of work with manufacturing support systems like MES systems and LIMS. So again, very much in the traditional IT space, but applied over into automation. And we started getting involved in a lot of plant diagnostics and problems in plants. And so I'd be going into plant environments and helping to figure out why something on a line wasn't working, right? And so started. it's kind of weird. Like, again, I started really kind of like, you know, started at the top of that Purdue model and kept working down my entire career. And this is where that first started to happen is that I was in plant environments doing this kind of work. Well, then we all know what happened on 9-11. Uh, such so dates is a little bit on our career, certainly. It's one of those, yeah, whatever mo- moments that a few months later, uh, I had been involved with uh, ISA 95 standard and ISA 88 standard for enterprise information and also batch control as part of the other job I was doing. And so um, I happen to know the chairs of those uh, chairs of one of those. And he came to me one day, he goes, hey, wait a minute, you have some experience in cybersecurity, don't you? You know about cyber and you know about automation. We're really interested in getting a cybersecurity standard going. Uh, and that was one of those, sure, why not moments? And that's how I ended up being the chair of the ISA 99 security committee and starting that. So that's really where that nexus point hit. And and even when even I made that transition, I was at a, a smaller integration firm at the time. Uh, I made that transition and started and I was, was still doing some cyber work, not a lot. I was still doing a lot more systems work. Um, but then I got picked up uh, by Rockwell Automation and was asked to start their. They, they had a network services business. And I actually went in and restructured that, that network services would then include also the higher end design Ethernet services, because that was a big thing going on at the time, and security services as well. So that's where we built that business and started doing, that's where I started doing security assessments, network performance tests and evaluations, network designs. Uh, and really, that's where a lot of that started to grow at that point. Yeah, so that that makes sense. And, and you, I'm curious, I, I should know this about your, your story. Do you stay industrial focused from that day forward? Yeah, absolutely. So basically starting in like, I mean, really, really my industrial focus started in like 1998. Uh, But then as far as industrial cybersecurity, I've been been pretty much purely cybersecurity focused since about 2002. So I, I, well, a little, a little the tail end of 2002. So you know, you look at even the industrial cybersecurity security field. There was a handful of folks working on it then, and we were the ones really starting to define what it was going to look like. 
Uh, so that was involved with uh, with the NIST, you know, NIST standard, the PCSRF, with ISA, uh, several other standards bodies. And, and they, again, we were all at that time, we were all carving new snow. We were all trying to figure out what does this need to look like? What, how do we protect and secure these systems and what are the real threats to them? Yeah. So it, what's the right term for you? Pioneer or dinosaur? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, grumpy Lumpkin? I don't know. <laughs> uh, pioneer or dinosaur? At this point, I, you know, at, at this point, I, I, I will say that I, you know, yeah, it's, I've been around for a little while. So I'm definitely kind of pioneer. Uh, I don't really want really to say dinosaur yet because I, I really do. I really do keep, keep it as important to really stay on the technical edge of what's going on out there. That's that's always been my goal is to stay, you know, two or three years out from where everybody else is thinking to the best I can. So. Yeah, and I, you know what, I do think I've I've always thought of you as definitely one of the pioneers in today's discussion. You know, the the actual dates of when you're doing some of these things only confirms that there's only so many people that can trace back that yeah. far to say this is when we we're starting to really look at this problem, and um, you're in that group. So we we've got. Yeah, I, I love when I see in the standard today, and they're like mentioning something in the standard, and I'm like, I remember the smoky restaurant we were sitting in and what we were drinking while we were scratching that idea out on the back of a napkin. So yeah. <laughs> in these these early years. And including being being roped into getting involved involved in the standards, mm -hmm. any mentors is mentorship or mentoring, you know, is that factor into your story at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, there were a couple that I really stand out. Uh, I remember again, right when I started the ISA ISA ninety nine committee, we had our first kickoff meeting in Chicago. Uh, one of them ended up being uh, Tom Finney of Honeywell, and he he had a long history, obviously in technology development, but also in standards development. And uh, he pulled me aside and was like, "Great job, but here's how you're messing up." And, uh, and, and he, and he was right, you know, and he gave really good advice and, and he ended up being a really good, really good coach in some of the early standards and technology development work. Um, and then certainly, uh, you know, I had people like, right when I joined Rockwell, there were several folks that kind of took interest in what we were doing. Um, and, and also said, Hey, well, you know, again, you, you know, the technology, let me help you with the business aspects of this and, and get in, get it into the company and forming the business. So, uh, so, yeah, there was actually several of those that, that I really owe a lot to um, right there in the early days. And I, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention another name, too. I remember Glenn Schultz, when I was at Rockwell, was another really big one that that really said, hey, look, let me show you how to get this into as a business and get it taken seriously. And and he helped us grow it to, to effective business there. You know, this this theme is is quite common. I always ask that question waiting for someone to say, nope, nope, no one ever really gave me any advice. But the truth is, many of you that are now, you know, well-known, you know, well-known cybersecurity leaders, somewhere along the way, there were there were people that were instrumental in that. Can you talk? I get this question from people typically earlier in their career path. They're mm -hmm. like, "Well, how do I how do I get one of those?" Yeah. And so the idea it seems a little foreign to them of how that connection is made. You know, is it organic? Is it accidental? Is it purposeful? It's probably for different people different answers. But yeah. what was it for you? I, you know, again, that's a, that's a good question. I don't know that I can answer it well. I, I know that uh, I tend to have a little more extroverted personality. And so don't really worry about what I say. I mean, I, I, I will I have no problem getting into an environment and really starting to talk and engage folks. And a lot of them really came that way. It's people that I struck conversations up with that were like, well, hey, that's interesting. You know, um, and again, if you even look a little later, like starting a lot of the cyber physical security stuff that goes back to a few conversations I had with folks in the industrial safety world. Uh, guys like Ed Marzell that we you know, later, later went on to work with that we and Paul Grun also bring up a few names there. And these these guys were all very instrumental in helping me understand. Well, wait a minute. Here's some other things that you need to think about. And I went, well, hey, look, okay, great. Now I can apply cyber cybersecurity thinking to this as well. So what will we do to that safety system? So a lot of those really did just come out for me very organically by having conversations that were trying to be forward leading and in and talking to related businesses and other people that had a, a heavy industry industry presence. So I, I've not really had anybody that said, hey, let me you know let me take you over the shoulder and mentor you. 
but I've certainly had a lot of people that we generated a lot of discussion and, and built a good friendship over time. And it was, and, and again, it resulted in things that we now see very common in industry. So, do you think someone can reach out to someone proactively in the industry and, and say, "Hey, I, you know, can I can I buy you a cup of coffee? I want to ask you some questions." Yeah. How, how effective do you think that strategy is for someone? I've had a number of people do that, and, and I certainly am I'm always willing to to kind of you know pull somebody aside and talk to them and answer their questions, uh, and that happens quite a bit. You know, and there's been a couple of people I've actually mentored pretty heavily. In fact, actually, I can think of a couple that you know, again, as they were transit, I think one in particular in the last few years, as he was transitioning off his role with the U.S. Army, I spent a lot of time help prep him for here's what you need to tra- here's the training you need to take. Here's the classes. And he and I are now working together on other fronts sometimes. So it, I definitely think that can help. Most of us are pretty approachable. There can be a little barrier to entry sometime. And it, it can be intimidating when you're talking to guys that have been in the field for a long time. But most of us, I think, really see it as we've come up through this. And to me, I'm very passionate about this field. I care about what we've done. It's important. So I'm like, hey, yeah, absolutely. I'm more than happy to talk to some folks. It could be the next generation that comes up and does. You know, and we're going to need a, a lot of talent in this field for the next few years. There, there's plenty out there. So I definitely encourage. Yeah, absolutely. Strike up a conversation. Yeah, I don't think you'll get told, told no too many times before you find somebody that, again, they care about this. So they're 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 certainly willing to 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 give you some advice along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that that I've heard this before, and I think that's that's compatible with my own experience. And so just just reach out, right? Ask. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So you're at Rockwell. See, now you're at, you know major OEM. You had a variety of experiences. Now I think you end up at a smaller company. Yep. There. Yeah, I, I, that's one. Of, I had one of those conversations with a semi mentor, actually, now that you mentioned mentor. And it was, uh, well, Brian, you have to decide if you're a small company guy or a big company guy. Right. And I ended up getting the answer to that question. I, yeah, it, 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 is, it was. I was like, well, I've done this on the big company. Let me try the small company. And, and, you know, again, I think it was one thing in my career, you know, I, I learned it's like, look, be willing to be willing to move a lot in the beginning, potentially. Um, kind of the days of joining a company and staying there a really long time don't happen as often. There's certainly those opportunities exist and they're good for folks. But you can a lot of times make a lot of opportunity by by seeing by seeing an opportunity and making you know, making a change, making a targeted change. So I kind of had an opportunity to come up like that and and took it and uh the the first one didn't go quite as well. I mean, I kind of played at a, at a water integrator there for a little while. The market wasn't really ready for it. Uh, but then I ended up over at World Tech for a little while, too, which, again, uh, so, and that was some of the very early days, a lot of their testing appliances and skin strategies. And, uh, and also ended up being very beneficial to the career because I got really, again, if you look at my career, I just kept getting deeper and deeper into the tech uh, and, and into the control systems over time. So I learned a whole lot by by working there and understanding a lot more of the very low level vulnerabilities and control systems. Awesome. Then talk a little bit about the standards body. And, and here's mm-hmm. the question for you. People ask or or I even, you know, there's like, what can I what can I join or plug into or yep. get involved with? To, you know, you can people can join and yep. work with standards efforts. Right. And that's a great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how, yep. someone, how does someone at a lower like they aren't known level, get involved with yeah. standards. Yeah, and that's that's actually a really good question because you know again for us we were starting it from the, from the scratch. It was really easy to get involved, you know. Uh, yeah. But I've heard people say it's like, well, how do I get involved with ISA ninety nine or you know six two four four three and stuff? And and like, well, hey, we'll join this list, and then they got get kind of kind of frustrated. And and I and I they're telling them it's like, look, you know, you're nobody's going. This is they are all volunteer organizations. They're anti they're anti accredited all volunteer organizations. Anybody can participate. And you got to remember there are hundreds or thousands of informational people out there that are just monitoring the standard and only a handful of them that are active at any given time. 
So if you don't make the effort to start getting involved, you're not going to get pulled in. I mean, you're not going to, to find it easy to get pulled in. But if you know, and there's two types of people out there. There's, there's people that are contributors and there's people that are more like reviewers. And the standard needs both because a lot of you'll find a lot of really good con content will come in because people maybe don't can't sit down and write 30 pages, but they can really edit and provide comments very heavily. And so as a, as a chair of a standards organization, I really learned the value of both. So, you know, be willing to if you're good at, at reading, editing and, and, and putting comments in, be willing to read and submit whenever whenever a document comes up for vote. Uh, if you're good at writing content, get in touch with not only the committee chairs, but also the subcommittee chairs and the subgroup, the task group chairs. You're going to find for any standard out there that's active, you're going to find a page that gives you information about who to contact. Contact them, ask where you can help, and then stay persistent at it. But I, I highly recommend it because it is getting involved in standards is a really good way, even if you're very early in your career. It's a really good way to learn a lot. It's a good way to get very good exposure. Uh, and, it's, and it's a really good way to, to make your mark in the industry. Awesome. Good advice. I think that's People are looking for those things. Like, what do I do outside of my job? Does is it affording me much opportunity to to get involved or progress in this area? Well, look outside, right? Look, join one right. of these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always room for work. That's the nice part. There's there's always room for people, and 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 there's always a demand for people that are willing to participate. So take advantage of it. So what happened uh, next after World Tech? So after World Tech, actually, uh, that is where the beginning. Where I really started getting interested in the whole cyber uh, safety. Actually, it was a whole intersection between safety and security, and we knew people were starting uh -huh. to ask yeah. questions. Yeah, about safety instrumented systems. I remember having a couple of those conversations, and they're like, "Oh, the safety system will protect us." And it's like and you start looking at it for a minute and thinking about it. I'm like. Actually, you know, and I've, I've always kind of had a side career doing pen testing and stuff. I, it wasn't really a main one. Uh, a couple of things that, I, that, that I, I did a lot of. So I did forensics a lot. And I did pen testing a lot, but it wasn't really like something that it was a that was my core function. But we started looking at these and going, wait a minute, there's there's ways around this. There's ways that you can compromise. And, and a lot of them may not be standard standard attack paths. Um, so we needed to look at those engineering layers of protection. And did we really protect a, a component or not? So really getting kind of deep in the weeds of it resulted in me having a conversation with, uh, with uh, again, Ed Marzell at a company called Connexus. And we really got into the in, you know, got into the a pretty deep discussion. And it, it took a, the first time we ever sat down and did it. It took a little while. But he had a stack of PNIDs. Right. When we, we got calibrated to what the, each of us were looking for, he would go through and he would tell me kind of what would happen in the process or what, what conditions you want to have there. And I would sit there and go, OK, well, then this is what I would do. This is how I'd modify it. These are the systems I'd go after. This would be the technique. And when we got calibrated to each other, flipping through these things, and it, I'll never forget, it was actually right after we started Connexus, but it was a flight between Salt Lake City and Idaho Falls. Right. So we're heading up there on that flight and we're flipping through this PNIDs and it just it hit both of us at the same time. It's like, Look, if you know what each of you are looking for and you have somebody that knows the process, somebody that knows engineering and what conditions are there and somebody that knows cyber, then look, these these are not these attack paths are there. They're real. And the whole idea that, that safety systems are enough uh, really falls short very quickly. So so, again, that actually is where I spent eight years uh, uh, with along with Ed and another gentleman. Uh, we had a company that we did together focused heavily on cybersecurity. And the intersection between safety and cybersecurity. So mm. that was really, again, effort focused very much on what it resulted in, you know, again, a lot of more of the cyber physical discussions and, and really what are the attack paths that 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 get you to the max damage scenarios at a, at a plant, for example. In, in, in a general sense, is that still an opportunity area for people? If they're looking for areas to dive deeper in, how mature are you know, we? In that actually is a good question. It's a it's an, it is a largely unexplored area. Well, it, it's still a, it's a largely unexplored, but also a big need. I mean, I had a conversation just yesterday 
on a security assessment and they were asking questions about the timing and ladles in a steel mill. And I'm like, I've already done this one. I've already spent time on this. And we found it, we found issues related to the timing and how we move things and what the different components were. And, you know, and just like, hey, I, I really need to understand that. I was like, well, it really does involve us getting down to the CNEs, the cause and effect diagrams, understanding how things are connected, what the, the engineered layers protection are. But a few seconds later, we were having a discussion and like, you know, got, more people need to know this so that, that when they're designing the system from the first place, did we put all the right layers of protection in or not to protect against a, a potential safety issue? So it's certainly an area that's, that has a lot of opportunity, a lot of demand, but it takes it, it takes a little bit of work to get to an engineer to get them to understand that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, in the years after Connexus, I know mm-hmm. very recognizable companies, Bioactive, mm-hmm. Red Trident, now at Accenture, focused on innovation. And I, I think it's interesting, your current role, if you talk a little about that, but that's, it seemed to be the way the current role sounds is makes sense based on your career path. A lot of different. Yeah, very much so. Uh, I active a really a lot of fun. It was a really good time to be there uh, because, again, I got straight back into in the pen testing and breaking into systems and spending all my time. And as I said, for a long time, you know, we spent years talking about the blue team and how to defend systems and how to keep the hackers out and all those things. And I got frustrated, like lather, rinse, repeat. Every time we went at show at the show, everybody was saying the same thing. Nobody was taking any action. And I had a presentation I did at Black Hat a few years ago. I was like, you know what? Actually, I did it at S4 the first time. I was like, at at a deeper level at Black Hat, I went, you know what? That's it. I'm going to tell you exactly how I get it. I'm going to leave some of the details out, but I'm going to get into exactly what we do when we go through and we want to look at how we would would attack a system. What does the combined cyber physical look like? And I I will certainly say that resulted in some uh, much more meaningful conversations with folks that are like, all right, we believe this now. We know it's a threat, so help us understand that. Uh, and that's where I spent my time and, and you know, coming in. Um, I also started working again a lot more. It, we're seeing the need for digital forensics and incident response for control systems and OT environments starting to become more and more important. And I was working in that area a lot, quite, quite as, uh, working quite a lot in that area as well. So, yes, uh, coming into Accenture, you're right. It really just kind of represents the, the next evolution in my career path because uh, the first things I came in, I'm coming in to do are to work on what are those, those kind of those cutting edge disciplines that people are asking for. But we're not fully answering yet. And again, like OT incident response is still a developing field. So uh, it gives an opportunity to really kind of write what that path is going to look like here in the next few years. Yeah, very cool. So there's your story arc. Let's go back to okay. uh, when you're starting out and give some you know, advice or thoughts or reflections to your early self. Yeah, sure. There's a little bit of personality type plays into this, you know, and I certainly know I have a much more outgoing, uh, you know, kind of more of a type A personality. And again, looking at cybersecurity as a whole, there's it's a huge field. Now, if you're more inclined towards the the you know the fl- flipping bits and getting in and understanding software at a very low level, and more of a in many cases probably an introverted personality in a lot of cases, then you know there's 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 some really good paths for you. But uh, and there's and there's a lot of rewards in there too. I know some people that work in that field that do very very well. Uh, for me, I know it was a little different. I, I tended to be much more outgoing, much more like, hey, I want to see what the next challenge is. I want to keep working on that next challenge, help define what the next uh, the next step is. So I've always really said, OK, what do I what conversations do I need to have? What meeting? You know, who do I need to get to meet? Uh, and I really a lot of it is I think everybody fights the imposter syndrome. Uh, and I certainly know that, you know, for as much as I was out there talking and, and trying to push things, I fought it as well. A lot of times I'm like, I'm learning it as I'm talking about it, you know, uh, and that and you got to be willing to embrace that a little bit. Be willing to to be willing to to risk being wrong a little bit, because I, I certainly learned a lot of good things by being wrong. 
um, and, and just really keeping that conversation going. But uh, I think a lot of people want to think that they have to know it perfectly before they can do it. That really is not the case. You know, you need to you just need to be disciplined in how you approach it and there'll be people there to help you along. But, yeah, I think probably the biggest thing is is uh, don't listen to the imposter syndrome. You know, just be willing to take a chance. That's a great nugget out of this uh, out of this interview, Brian. I think that's that's something that many people face uh, or try to deal with. And if they've never heard anybody talk about it, they just it's all internal and they don't realize, oh, other people feel that way, too. Every, everybody that's the thing I learned. Everybody out there feels the same way. You know, and, and that's and to wonder people. And you and I both know them that don't ever think they're an imposter. They think they do yeah. know it. But <laughs> I, well, there are there are definitely areas I walk into. I'm like, okay, I absolutely know I've got this deal you know, in this room. But there are other yeah. places I, yep, I'm out of my element. You know, so yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it is a little bit of a variable state, I suppose. So. Yeah, and awareness is is self awareness is a, is a, is a gift at times. I think. Okay, so um, let's talk about any during that you know during any of those uh, those chapters of your 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 story, so to speak. Any challenges and how you overcame them that come to mind? Again, I, you know, I'm, I'm back at a big company now, and, and, a, and it's kind of interesting. I'm in a role now that kind of gives me a very similar innovation capability. I mean, like kind of small team thinking. One thing I learned early on is, you know, a lot of people's cybersecurity went straight for one industry area. They went straight for uh, uh, for resources over into oil and gas and things like that. And and I know the one thing I learned is that, you know, right, and this is probably a really good example right today, economic downturns are going to happen, right? Big things like that are going to happen. I mean, I, I the first big one was the Y2K timeframe that I dealt with. The la- the next one was right after I started Connexus uh, in 2000, in October 2008. And so, you know, learning to be ready to turn on a dime. And so I, the one thing that has ended up being very valuable in my career was I have worked in almost in every industry type out there. I, I've had experience. And I can't imagine one that I have not been in, in some level. And but a lot of that was because the markets are always changing a little bit. And there's there's you know there's demand there's there's like I've heard that there's a bull market somewhere everywhere and I found that to be true. Uh, so the biggest thing I would encourage folks and from challenges is that the times are going to change and you've got to be ready to move with them. And and if you know if you're not ready or if you are just stuck in one way of thinking, it's going to be very problematic. And I know that certainly I started companies or I started uh, businesses and, and and things right at times that went great. Like right now is a good example. I, I just started a few months ago. And being ready to say, okay, where are the where are the tea leaves of the market say it's going? What do we need to adapt to? But I, I think that that's probably one of the the biggest challenges I've had have been facing how the market changes and being ready to adapt to it. Yeah, good advice. And apropos to today, I mean, there's no question. Do you see today any? Uh, you know, there's plenty of negative to go around. Do you, what do you see as far as cybersecurity industry and the impact of the global pandemic? Yeah, I, I think there's definitely been some good things. I, 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 you know, really noticing, you know, people are realizing, hey, look, we really can do a lot of this work remotely. And, and you know, making like we're, I'm running an assessment right now where it's going is going a lot better than I would have thought in many cases for, for doing something totally remote. And it's actually set up in many ways even a better conversation with the customers than I normally would have. Uh, because we're, we're having to interact a lot more over the phone and we're getting a lot more of their input. So, I mean, the fact that we're working a lot more remote, I, I really am kind of seeing that there's a more willingness to it. Uh, it's making more things available. But again, the, I think the, the probably the biggest thing is we are seeing that, that organizations are starting to go, we really do need to have a better handle on what how we're monitoring our environments. Because maybe we can't go into the plant every day. Maybe we can't get to those areas. So uh, I'm definitely seeing a lot more people start to say, I need to have better visibility of what's going across my wire. So um, I've already watched several folks in the last couple of months really start pushing hard towards solutions that will allow them to do that because they realize 
you know what? I may not be able to get to those areas as well as I used to, or, or you know, it, maybe it's just a cost savings or a big ben ben benefit to make that data more online. So I, I'm definitely, it's, it's early, obviously, but that's one thing I'm seeing, certainly. Oh, that's great. Great, great, great. Okay, so let's talk about, okay, let's talk about professional development, things you did okay. uh, outside of what maybe job required, things you chose mm -hmm. to do, because that's something sure. that people can emulate. That's something that our listeners can say, oh, I'm, I'm over here and I, maybe I feel stuck or maybe my manager's not supporting me growing to where I want to go. Right. What things can I do outside of this or choose yeah. to do? What did you do and what would you suggest? Could be two different yeah. things. I, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, you know, I remember when I was first in the intelligence field, I had a drill sergeant. That, well, me, I had one of our instructors in the school that came up and said, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to look it up. And uh, unfortunately, that became very expensive advice as I, I bought lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of books over the years. Uh, but I was constantly studying, constantly reading. There's one that I learned. So, I learned as a, are you an ahead. author of a book? I think right where my index yes, finger is. We got is, two of them out. Yes. Uh, yeah, we got two different books. Uh, cybersecurity. There's a cybersecurity for industrial control systems. Uh, and there's a hacking exposed theory for industrial control systems that I've been a co-author on each of those. Probably, yeah, probably on your shelf up there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of these right in the. Uh, yeah, here we go. There you go. Perfect. There you go. Yeah. So, yep. There's myself and some of the other offers on that one. Yeah. That was that was that was definitely fun. The, so, yeah, definitely. Um, that, you know, that was like, writing a book is an interesting experience, and it never hurts. If you get a chance to write a book, it absolutely never hurts when you walk into a customer environment and they hold your book up and go, "Is this you?" It's like, all right, credibility's good. We're good. We, we can start working now. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, it definitely helps. Uh, you know, and it also it, it certainly was was an opportunity to kind of codify. Um, some of the stuff that we were doing in industry at the time and, and then learn some new things. So I definitely recommend it if you get that chance. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, going back to it, uh, as a software developer, you know, we, we were constantly being faced with different programming languages a lot of times too. And so I was, I would go home and I'd read a book and I'd learn a programming language over the weekend sometime. And, you know, I think, if, I think I coded somewhere around 32 languages professionally by the time I kind of put, you know, put that down, but it, it gave me a lot of experience. So um, so certainly in cybersecurity, as I've kind of evolved that career, the really, again, I've always, always tried to have something I'm working on. And still to this day, I've always got something I'm working on. And there's, you know, kind of a, a core set of skills that people, a lot of times you really start with. And, you know, I, again, I started software development and had to learn more of the networking and found out that was the network and penetration testing and system manipulation that ended up being my passion. So I had to mid career, I mean, mid career, as I was starting all this stuff, I was learning it all myself at the same time. So uh, but definitely, uh, even today, you've got a lot more options like taking courses online. Uh, and I mean, I'm always working on something like that. So. That's I think that's another great set of advice, especially you, as you talked about mid mid career changes. And not being afraid to do that, just start picking yeah. up some of the additional uh, the additional language. And you, you you touched on something I've also heard people speak about, which is understanding um, the fundamental nature of needing to understand networking yeah. to, to to apply to a lot of this stuff. That 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 yeah. the way the network functions is pretty critical. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I think it's I think it's probably again this goes all the way back to the Rockwell days because we were diagnosing massive network failures all the time and figuring out what was going on. But it's still the most overlooked aspect of cybersecurity in my mind. It's the most overlooked aspect of even software development because you know I've watched I've watched people and companies struggle for days, weeks, and even months and years in some cases with bad problems, and they were blaming the application, they were blaming the computers, they were blaming everything but what it actually was. And as you know, remember the, the comment earlier about assembly language: there's no magic at the assembly level, there's no magic at the packet layer. And I, I got to give credit to my friend Brad Haygrat for that quote. We've used that for years. There's no magic. What's on the wire is what's on the wire. 
And if you have good network diagnostic skills, they can be very useful in diagnosing a number of other problems out there. And even from a security threat standpoint, most people miss a lot of security threats because they don't ever look at what's going across the wire. So I, I definitely think it's an uh, a, uh, underappreciated and undervalued skill, uh, but it's it's one of the most useful ones I've found in my career. Awesome. Good, good advice. So what is exciting you about the future? What are you what are you peering? If you had to peer ahead and say this yeah. one thing or a couple things, um, mm-hmm. you know, is not only most exciting to you, but you think it's also opportunities for people, especially sure. earlier in their career path to start focusing themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're looking at a couple of big trends in industry, obviously, and there's that, you know, we, well, we've been, we've been pushing on this trend for quite a while, the, the more connected, you know, more connected assets within the plant. Well, now that has, it has a fancy name, right? We've got uh, industry 4.0, X.0, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it is really looking at what, what we can do with cloud architectures, what we can do with AI, what we can do with more IoT, the ability that we have to monitor plants and all the conditions out there. If you look at a lot of offshore operations, maybe one example, the reason people are out there on the offshore is because they still need the human intervention out there, right? And it's also the most dangerous part of their job, having to put them out in that environment. So the more we're starting to gather and process data and the better we're able to trend and analyze it, the more we're going to be able to do without actually having a lot of human intervention, the more availability we're going to see in our plants, the better we're going to diagnose cybersecurity threats as they change, as they, as they evolve under the system. Um, so, I mean, definitely there's a lot of area of opportunity there because to, do, to achieve those goals is going to require a lot of modernization, a lot of scaling of assets, a lot of building of larger networks. Uh, and certainly a lot, uh, some of the, neat, the, the stuff we're looking at now is you know zero trust models, zero trust models for ICS, some of the big cloud authentication models that, hey, look, a lot of the things we're doing with devices, we don't have to worry about some of the security. Th- well, we don't have to worry so much about a lot of those security threats that we did before to a lot of the end devices. They're going to be in a model that, that, that you know, is much more enforced by cybersecurity path. I mean, all, all kinds of you know, certificates and obviously uh, encryption, a lot of those technologies are becoming more available and they're getting lower bandwidth so they can be deployed in even these larger environments. So I, I think it's you know definitely the, the, the big data, AI, whatever you want to call those changes, it represents a lot of really interesting growth for a lot of customers. It also represents a lot of interesting opportunity for cybersecurity to really be in the front of, all right, what does it mean to do all of this condition-based monitoring remotely and how do we feed that data back in? But if I'm sending my condition-based monitoring offsite to a third party, how do I trust it when it comes back? How do I make sure that it fits into my environment, lab samples and everything else? So there's a lot of really good cybersecurity opportunity that you get really good benefit for the technologies out there, but you're going to need cybersecurity folks asking the right questions to what do we do with this data when it comes back? How do we trust it? How do we vet it? How do we make sure that it's not actually introducing a problem into the process? So, you know, again, while, while all those connectivity challenges, uh, connectivity opportunities bring us good technology and a lot of neat things forward looking, it also brings new security challenges that it's going to take people with a very keen eye to sort out what is what what is safe, what's going to add more risk to the process. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I, you, you hit on some some great areas for anybody to look into uh, AI, machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, you're, you're talking about new encryption schemes or distribution. I mean, all sorts yep. of. You're really talking also about the ultimate convergence, right? Yeah, Early absolutely. On, these OT networks and these IT yep. networks, and more discussions over recent years about OT and IT. Yep. Aren't you painting a picture for networks? Yeah. I- you know, and that's that's something we've been pushing for a long time. The security is not IT and OT; it's just security, right? Uh, and we've been pushing that for a long time, and, and that's certainly core of the message I drive today. Um, and I think I've mentioned I've been getting a lot involved, a lot more involved in incident response. And 
one of those was actually really defining what the IR capability was going to have to look like for you know multi for large multinational corporations uh, and global response. And, and really, uh, what we were learning there is is how do we get the needle out of the stack of needles, right? How do we find all networks are going to have noise on them, all things are going to have it out there. How do we sort out what's actually going? And we've started getting some you know really interesting correlation engines and AI analytics that are helping us to laser in very quickly on what the timeline is or where certain events started to occur. And so even though I've been doing incident, forensic, incident response and forensics for years, I've been really excited what I've seen in the last couple of years because it's really allowed us to get in and time slice systems much more quickly to figure out what was the point of infection? Where did the actors go? What are we looking for next? Um, that's one of the biggest ones I've seen lately is, is we're starting to go based upon all of these companies that a, a threat actor is going after, can you extrapolate a trend of what they're going to do next? And when we've been able to look at that and go, I think this is what's going to happen next, and then we start seeing it, it's been very exciting uh, to, you know, to, to see it, predict it, and then see it actually happen, to watch certain events occur. So we're getting those technologies are, are providing us some really new opportunities that we're just on the front end to starting to understand what we can do with them. Fantastic. Okay, now we're in my favorite part of all these interviews where I steal something from a show I've always liked, Inside the Actor Studio. It ran on channels all over the world. It's it highly distributed for decades. It was hosted by James Lipton. who used to interview all the famous actors on his stage. And he ended his interviews with the Pivot questionnaire, which he borrowed from a French show uh, prior to that. So this goes back a long way. And it's the same questions, I think, from the French show to Inside the Actor Studio to the, to the questions I'd ask you today. You ready? Okay, let's do it. All right, what is your favorite word? My favorite word? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> um, I don't think I can actually say that on the air, but it goes back to the military days. And it's definitely a, a four-letter expletive that starts with the word F. So <laughs> well, you're going to get, that's funny. That's another question on here. Um, what is your least favorite word? Uh, probably like most people, moist. Yeah. <laughs> what turns you on uh, either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? What turns you on? So, uh, yeah, I think that, and it's weird, I found I found my creative side much later in life. I've always liked music and things like that. It's in the family, uh, go by the last name. But yeah, it was like in my 30s that I really found my creative side. And so, yeah, a lot of really getting out, making, to, to create, to build, started making jewelry, started doing a lot of metal art, photography. So uh, I've, I've incorporated that as part of everything that I do. And so I, it's, it's a core part of me now that I, I have to have kind of creative outlets along with my technical outlets. And interestingly enough, I will say, I, I still think that if you want to be a good pen tester, the best pen testers I know are actually more creative than they are technical. They're more creative mindset. Pen testing, breaking into systems, it's a creative process. So almost all the really good pen testers I know are musicians or they're artists or they're painters. There's something else out there. And I've, I've noticed that that's become, uh, I've noticed more and more that that's a, a big trend is that it's much more of a creative process. And, and people, like, people like that are drawn more into the penetration field, testing field. Awesome. What turned you off? Uh, endless conference calls. Yeah. <laughs> You're loving COVID. What is your favorite curse word? See, here we go, Brian. I said definitely fuck. <laughs> what, what sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do I love? Rain on a tin roof. So. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, screeching maybe uh, the seat behind me on the middle seat when I'm flying in the middle seat. <laughs> What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Profession other than my own I'd like to attempt. Um, so I said probably it would be something on photojournalism or something like that. It's just the, the the passion of creating stories. Yep. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? 
<laughs> well, um, certainly it's, uh, you, you made it in by the skin of your teeth, son. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Brian Singer, yeah. for being on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure to have uh, someone with as much energy and things to share as you have. So thanks again. Thanks, Eric, man. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Take care. Be well. Thank you.